0: Since All Elite Wrestling launched in 2019, it has produced many pieces of pro wrestling magic, and I'm not just talking about my best friend, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. There is always this sense that AEW could potentially turn even some of the worst crap imaginable around, because, well, they've done it over the last four years. I'm Adam Wilborn from what Culture, and these are 10 times AEW turned trash. Into treasure. Number 10. Forbidden Door. Let's be honest, the build to the first Forbidden Door was dire. And it was also cursed. Punk versus Tanahashi and Danielson versus ZSJ were scrapped through injury. There were few personal issues heading into Forbidden Door, and somehow even fewer instances in which the representatives of each promotion were fueled by a desire to prove that their home was the premier destination for professional wrestling. And yet, the pay-per-view itself. Itself was magnificent. The shot of Sting's silhouette before he dove onto the Young Bucks from atop an entrance tunnel. Orange Cassidy planning five defensive moves ahead. Tanner making you beg out loud that he could stay in the match. Shooter! The whole thing was a bloody masterpiece and arguably one of the best pay per views. Number 9. The Butcher and The Blade The Butcher and The Blade debuted on the 27th of September 2019 Dynamite by, in the style of a supernatural WWE monster, emerging from a hole underneath the ring to attack Cody Rhodes. Jim Ross was mystified and Excalibur knew of their identity and so he told us, a lot. He told us several times without really telling us anything. He just rattled off their names over and over again. MJF apparently hired the team to take Cody out, but the wonky audio left fans completely clueless. Happily, one of the weirdest match graphics in AEW's short history manifested as an inconceivable triumph. Cody and QT Marshall versus The Butcher and the Blade was a terrific TV match built around the idea that QT was far better than he looked losing Junot matches on Dark. The Butcher and the Blade became and ancillary characters in the epic MJF vs Cody saga and in 2020 became cult favorites with their amazing work in crazed plunder brawls. AEW learned from the initial fumble and redefined the debut process across the board. Speaking of which, number 8, the debut process in general. In his younger years, which I'm reliably informed was over days ago, Tony Khan was a huge ECW fan and used an old Paul Heyman trick on his very first show. A double Nothing. the lights went out after best friends defeated the hybrid two i was lucky enough to be there and the expectation was rampant oh my god is it cm punk could it be phil finally coming back to the wrestling business i mean obviously cm punk wasn't gonna make his debut running in after a mid-card tag match but that is what the lights out gimmick elicits the dark order were revealed To blanket silence, it bordered on embarrassing, it was like a fart in a lift. There is no ideal way to debut a brand new act, and if Tony Khan is yet to crack a code that doesn't really need to be solved, he has perfected the debut of the established star. Sting's Wintry introduction was majestic in the strictest definition, the viral marketing campaign that heralded CM Punk's introduction was so great that countless wrestling fans between them fantasy booked an infinite amount of programs, and the cryptic build of Mr. Brody Lee made the Dark Order fascinating where they were once irredeemably atrocious. More on them later. Number 7. The House of Black Alright, it's probably unfair to label the House of Black as trash on balance. The act absolutely rules, and mostly always did, but the chintzy aspect of their presentation mercifully has been abandoned. Though many have forgotten this, since the blow-off at Double or Nothing was so tremendous, their feud with Death Triangle was risible. Alex Abrahantes looked like a child buzzing about Halloween in November, and was much too desperate to do God. Stuff. Penta Oscuro wasn't so much the dark alter ego as Tony Khan's dismal attempt to feed the lawn nonsense, any old spooky crap. The television was hot topic looking drivel and the house's inscrutable babbling didn't help the whole Wish Bray Wyatt vibe either. It turned afterwards, the shot composition and body language in their program with Sting, Darby, Alan, Miro was so fantastic that Malachi actually felt like the presence he's always aspired to be, but all that was lost when he and AEW seemed to to have a falling out they are now a more permanent and a lot less corny fixture on aew programming which is all the better for the house's black metal energy number six miro the best man miro was meant to be the best all-rounder in the promotion but his feud with best friends was so wacky that his aura all but vanished arcade anarchy was very fun but the stakes were so low and the feud dragged on for f-ing ages it was Punishingly dull. Miro was subsequently reinvented as a psychotic, God fearing monster bound to unleash the violence from on high. He was legitimately scary in the role, and the presentation of his Redeemer character was world class. He also was the best man, a great Hoss who measured his vulnerability to perfection, creating palpable drama in matches totally unique to AEW, and needed just 30 seconds to build his feuds with a screenwriter's panache. Number four. 69 me, Don. Yeah, no prizes for this one making the list. Let's think back to Revolution 2021. Oh dear. The idea was to have Eddie Kingston save Jon Moxley from a raging inferno and build what constituted as a mega pop in the 50% capacity Daily's Place era when the new coolest tag team in the world made their heroic badass return. Instead, as a result of a horrendous production snafu, the odd sparkler reigned a few puffs of pyro onto the two men and that was about it. It was either heartbreaking or very funny depending on your perspective. But AEW's response was so incredible, it was almost a good thing that a $50 pay-per-view was ruined. Kenny Omega and Don Callis reenacted the scene on the subsequent Dynamite to take the piss out of Eddie. After Kenny implored Don to 69 me, nothing happened. Kenny's "Did I blow up?" deadpan was outstanding. The idea was to revel in the humiliation to fictionalize it and give them the babyface team cause to assault the elite in multiple piss funny buddy movie action set pieces. Look, without the shitty revolution finish, you wouldn't have been able to watch Nick Jackson squawk like a bird in fear at the threat of Mox and Eddie out for revenge. Number four, the commentary team. The original AW broadcast team was not great. It was Poor. Very poor, in fact. The idea was thus. Excalibur was to call the in-ring action as a former pro with a studious and enthusiastic grasp of the modern style. The legendary Jim Ross was to provide the gravitas and authority. And Alex Marvez was to fill a new audience in on the backstories of the unfamiliar talent, Alan New Japan's Chris Charlton. The problem, God bless his very nice seeming heart, is that Marvez, a close friend of Tony Khan's hired through nepotism, was awful. He disrupted the flow of matches you could hear in the silence of JR's contempt of him, and in general, the man sounded like he'd won a bloody competition. It was untenable, unpopular, and AW made the call to transition him to a backstage interviewer role and replace him with Tony Schiavone ahead of Dynamite's launch. Schiavone is, well, he's just wonderful, isn't he? There are few sounds as blessed as the man saying, that was an ass-kicking match, guys. He tempers JR's more abrasive qualities by popping over the dives on Rampage, and he's just a warm and wonderful presence. I love you, Tony Schiavone. Number three, the perception of the elite, and indeed all elite wrestling. Tony Khan was faced with a crisis over the 2019 holiday season. His December 18th AEW Dynamite episode was a sodding disaster. The booking was dreadful, and even NXT beat them in the ratings, for God's sake. Khan made the decision to oversee the creative process after that, and restore the vibe, and did so with a booking masterstroke. He penned a happy ending and a cliffhanger on the same show. The incredible instant return to form that was the unopposed January the 1st Homecoming special. Khan recognised the perception of the Elite. In a bid to reassure fans that he knew what they were thinking of and fretting over, he posed a question at the start of the broadcast. Are the Elite still The He answered it by having Cody Rhodes go over Darby Allin and Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks go over Pac and the Lucha Bros in two awesome bookends. He reminded the audience that the Elite were incredible wrestlers and winners. This was necessary, but then again it didn't compel fans into watching the week after. That is where Hangman Page comes in. He is the main character of AEW, and the protagonist rode into and saved the show. Shunted to commentary, he entered a comedic, meme-friendly masterclass of a performance that drove the power of the cliffhanger. The elite were still elite wrestlers, but the faction wasn't whole. Hanger's potential exit from the stable was a tremendous cliffhanger that ultimately led to the greatest tag team match Ever. Number two, the Dark Order. The Dark Order was unfathomably awful in 2019. The Creepers were the least intimidating act in Major League Wrestling history, and while the idea was to convey that they only had strength in numbers, it wouldn't have mattered if there had been 5,000 of them. They looked like trash. It was all saved, though, by the exalted one, Mr. Brody Lee, who, after an inspired red herring strewn marketing campaign and less inspired Mr. McMahon impression, advised a genius bit. His conniption fits at his moronic underlings were priceless. He struck a tremendous balance between being terrifying and entertaining, and in a less cruel world, built an unreal match with John Silver in particular. That David versus Goliath attraction remains pro wrestling's elusive masterpiece of a dream match. Rest in peace. Number one, the role of Hangman Page. Look, Hangman Page was never bad, but his early role did feel miscast. Page was hardly helped by MJF, whose charisma dwarfed his at double or nothing, nor was he helped by the enforced change in booking plans either. Page, originally meant to wrestle pack to earn a title shot at all out, instead won the Casino Battle Royale, the comedic overtones of which undermined the achievement. His promo work in the build was stellar, he ripped the bandages from his face to get himself over as a classic babyface, but the match with Chris Jericho didn't get over as a proper main event because he went 50 50 with Kip Sabian at Fight for the Fallen in a match that attempted to do too much all at once. In the early phases of Dynamite, Page got over in an excellent series with Pac, but the elite dissolution angle really was the thing that got him over as the most popular act in the company. His genuinely funny comedic insults just connected him with the fans. Look, to be honest, this entry might be a reach, because this arc was likely the plan from the jump. You were meant to lose faith in him, just as he was meant to lose faith in himself, maybe AEW has been burying some of that treasure all along. But what do you think? Let me know in the comments section below and on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE, where you can find me at Adam Wilborn, and listen to me on podcast What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for watching. I've been Adam from What Culture. And I'll see you soon. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.